Well, good morning, Stonebridge. Uh, happy Father's Day. If you guys don't know who I am, I'm Josh. I'm the youth and worship pastor here at Stonebridge. Shout out to all the dads that have, God willing, all but survived uh, this COVID-19 season. Um, I know for some of us, it hasn't been easy. Uh, we've been home more than we're used to, and we're not really sure what to do with that, <laughs> honestly. Uh, I mean, we love our kids and all, but there comes a certain point where you just got to get out of the house for a bit, am I right? So good job so far, hang in there, and hopefully we're nearing the end of it. So this morning, <laughs> this morning we're going to be uh, going to be continuing in our series called The Gospel According to Genesis, and we'll be in chapters 21 and 22, so you can go ahead and turn there. We're going to be talking about the uncomfortable obedience of Abraham. But I just wanted to give you some background as to where we're at so far with our story. So up to this point, we have seen Abraham and Sarah receive incredible covenantal promise from God. God promises Abraham that his family will be multiplied like stars in a dark night sky. But we've seen them blunder their way through that promise and try to take matters into their own hands by, and by Sarah's request. Abraham slept with a maidservant instead of trusting God to give him his son through Sarah in his perfect timing. So now we have an interesting situation where finally Isaac will be born, and yet we have Ishmael, the son of Hagar, the maidservant, who is now about 16 years old, and though he was born out of impatience with God and a sinful, unbelieving heart in both Abraham and Sarah— Ishmael is still the firstborn son of Abraham. So that's where we enter the story here in chapter 21. Chapter 21, verse 1 says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So we see at the very beginning of this passage, that this is Theophany part two, right? Part one was back in chapter 18 where God came down in physical form to Sarah, promising her that she would give birth to Isaac. And he said that he would come again and do that, and he fulfilled that promise here. So in previous passages where Sarah had laughed at the thought of having a child in her old age because she doubted God, now, we see her laughing because God actually followed through with that promise. So they named him Isaac, which means he laughs for that reason. So the main theme in this first section here is that God fulfills his promise to Abraham and Sarah, regardless of their actions and how far they strayed from God's plan throughout the whole time and what was good and right and, right and honorable. God fulfills his promise to Abraham and Sarah. 
It's easy to see the accounts in like Judges and other places in the Old Testament as some of the most foolish and frustrating acts of sin from God's people. But don't rule out Genesis. Don't forget about Genesis. There is some messed up stuff in this book. Thankfully, last week Matt was gracious enough to take some of that most nightmarish passages in all of Scripture off my plate. So I don't have to. So thanks for that, Matt. Um, (laughs) I was supposed to do that, and we ended up switching weeks. So I got the better end of that stick. But you go, (laughs) you can go listen to that podcast if you missed it. Um, But don't forget those, those horrible accounts of humanity's disgusting disobedience and God's incredible, consistent patience and justice with us. Psalm 103, 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And that has been shown on full display these last few weeks that we've been in Scripture. That theme of steadfast love will continue into what we are about to get into this morning as well. So let's keep reading at verse 8 of chapter 21. It says this, And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So to give you a picture of what this party probably looked like, it's a celebration of Isaac being weaned, right? Which means that he's very young, probably infant toddler age somewhere in there. Ishmael, on the other hand, is about 16 years old at this time. So we hear from this account that Sarah saw Ishmael laughing. The irony of that, of course, is that Isaac's name means he laughs. So there's this theme of laughter throughout the whole thing. But it's unclear, and it seems to be up to interpretation of what Sarah saw and whether or not Ishmael had laughed in a playful way with Isaac, being an infant, or if he was mocking Isaac. But regardless, taking Ishmael out of the equation completely, Hagar did not deserve any of the abuse that she had already received back in chapter 16, the physical abuse, or what she was about to receive from Sarah here in chapter 21. Alan Ross, in his book, Creation and Blessing, says it better than I possibly could. He says, Hagar was an unfortunate woman caught in the web of Abraham and Sarah and their faltering efforts to achieve their destiny. And she was the abused and rejected woman who, with the birth of Isaac, was suddenly very much in the way. From previous chapters, and especially this chapter, Hagar was the victim of abuse, both physical and emotional. There is no doubt about that. Hagar sleeping with Abraham and bearing him a son was Sarah's idea in the first place. And in this passage, she starts even verbally abusing her by downgrading her from calling her a maidservant to slave woman. 
So you can see how messed up it is that throughout this story, Sarah has had it out for Hagar because Hagar was able to give birth to a son for Isaac or for Abraham. And Sarah was just too impatient to allow God to do the work in her that he had promised that he would do. So in her jealousy, Sarah put Hagar through some serious, serious trauma. But we know from previous accounts that Ishmael's name means God hears. So put a pin in that, hold on to that thought, and we'll come back to that in a little bit. Now, let's look at this from a second perspective. Let's look at it from Abraham's point of view. It's, a, it's Father's Day after all. So um, I don't know about you guys, but I have two wonderful, beautiful daughters that are actually here for the first time in the mor- this morning. Um, and their infant years were quite different than <laughs> what we're experiencing now. So Bella was our first, and she was a pretty easy pregnancy. She was an easy baby, and so we thought, why not just keep this ball rolling? Because <laughs> that wasn't so bad. Uh, boy, were we wrong with the first year of Adeline's life. <laughs> um, during that time, I was working about 60 hours a week between two different jobs and trying to balance that work and home life. And that made it a little bit more difficult with Adeline being the type of baby that just constantly screamed all the time, especially at night. I vividly remember one night coming home from leading youth worship band in uh, Des Moines, and my wife sending me a text, essentially just begging for help, (laughs) Um, and that she was just overwhelmed with the emotions and the constant tears and screaming from Adeline teething at night. So I walked in, and Bella, of course, was sleeping like a baby in her room, because back then she could sleep through anything. Missed those stages. Um... (laughs) And I walk up the stairs to our bedroom, and I just hear the song Weep With Me by Ren Collective that we were just singing this morning. Um, And accompanying that song, though, was the screams and cries of Addie and Kate. (laughs) I walk up there, and they're both just sitting in our chair up in our bedroom, just sobbing their eyes out. And I said, honey, I've got this. You you go to bed. (laughs) And I don't know if I ever got her back to sleep that night, but at least it got Addie off of Kate's plate at that point. So now the girls change about every week in one way or another. Um, so Addie is no longer screaming constantly, obviously. She's back there doing a good job. <laughs> and we have a completely different dynamic now. But I definitely feel for Abraham and in this passage, Ishmael was born, was his firstborn son, and he had already been through all of those stages, right? And now Ishmael is about 16 years old. He's almost a, uh, almost a man who is much more grown up and hopefully not screaming in the middle of the night and needing to have his butt wiped like Isaac does. While Isaac, on the other hand, is likely in the thick of that baby stage. So when it says in verse 11 that the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son, I get that. (laughs) On top of having to deal with Sarah having this obvious beef with the maidservant, Hagar, that had given Abraham his firstborn son and all the jealousy and emotions that come with that, He's also been trying to just be a good dad to Isaac in this scenario. And if he's like me, he was running on an hour and a half of sleep each night for a week or so, and the smell of baby poop is just ripe in his nostrils. So when Sarah says, send that boy away, Abraham's probably thinking, that one? You want me to send that one away? Ishmael's done. Let's keep this one. He's done. (laughs) We've done all this stuff. Why not send away this one that's still screaming constantly? I love him and all, but for real. <laughs> so 
he hears Sarah tell him to send Hagar and Ishmael away, and he essentially just blows her off. And then God says to him, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So God does two things here in this section. He acknowledges that Ishmael is his son. He's Abraham's son, his offspring, right? But he also commands Abraham to do as Sarah says and send his son away along with Hagar, who has done nothing wrong. This is the first uncomfortable act of obedience that we're going to be talking about today. God is essentially saying to Abraham, I want you to send them away. I understand. Trust me. I've got this. I will protect them. So Abraham obeys. And in verse 14, he follows God's command. Verse 14 says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. His firstborn son, who he got to see grow up from an infant into a young man, right in front of him. And he just has to let him go. That is uncomfortable obedience. It's easy to graze over that and just say, well, they're, they're out of the story now. Let's forget about Ishmael and Hagar. They're, they're, they're just gone. But that's not what happens here. God is loving enough to both completely fulfill his promise to Abraham and to listen to and protect and care for the marginalized and the abused. So let's pick up at verse 14. It says, And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. And then she sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of my child, of the child. And she sat opposite him. She lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. I cannot imagine that as a parent. It'd be, when I've thought of this passage before, I've seen it as this, this baby that she's putting in the bushes. No, it's, it's a 16-year-old boy who has no, he has nothing left. And he's likely helped her up to this point, given her all the water. So a 16-year-old boy that has no gas left. And she has to set him in a bush and cry out to God, help. But God heard him. He listened. God isn't a heartless, robotic God who only cares about fulfilling his will. God's heart breaks for both of them, probably on a deeper level than even they are experiencing at that moment. And he holds on to his word that he gave to Hagar when she was fleeing from Sarah's physical abuse back in chapter 16, right? Back then he said, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened in your affliction. So now in the 11th hour, 
he comes to her again in the wilderness of Beersheba. Verse 17, it says, And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened his eyes, opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water in the middle of a desert. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow, and he lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So God calls Abraham to act in uncomfortable obedience by telling him to essentially disown his firstborn son. But God honors his word to both Abraham and Hagar. Let's skip ahead to chapter 22 where we hear about Abraham's second act of uncomfortable disobedience. Chapter 22 verse 1 says this, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him, as a, offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Ouch. Right off the bat, God rips off two very painful band-aids. He refers to Isaac as your only son, Isaac which has got to feel like salt in the wound, right? Because as we'll find out in a bit here, Isaac is about the same age Ishmael, Ishmael was when Abraham was forced to send him into exile. Maybe just a little bit older. So especially if they look alike, which is very possible seeing how they have the same dad, Abraham is likely having this PTSD moment of, God, here we go again, God. I don't understand why you are putting me through this. And this time, it's not just disowning my son. I have to sacrifice him on a burnt altar? What are you doing? You gave me this promise, and then this is what I'm supposed to do? Is this even you talking? It doesn't sound like you because you don't go against your word. At least that's what I would be thinking, right? But that's not what he does here. He submits. And he follows God's lead, trusting that God will somehow protect Isaac. So let's pick up uh, back in verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, so they've been hiking for three days, and he's having to think about this. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Imagine what it must have been like telling his servants that. He doesn't know whether or not Isaac's going to come back. He doesn't know that. But he trusts God. And they've already hiked three days to get here, so on they go. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, because Abraham's 100 years old and he can't carry it. And he took in his hand the fire, so a torch, and a knife. So they went, both of them together, 
And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told, them, told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. So again, keep in mind, Abraham is over 100 years old at this point. And Isaac is somewhere between old enough to carry the wood on his shoulders up the mountain and young enough to not yet have a wife, because that comes later. So Isaac is experiencing his own level of very uncomfortable obedience. On top of helping his over 100-year-old dad get up this mountain for three days, wondering what in the heck is going on, he's willingly allowed himself to be bound and even killed by Abraham on this altar, right? So in verse 10, it says, Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. And as it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Let's keep going on verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this. And have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. So two more times in this passage, God says, your only son, your only son. God isn't mocking Abraham when he says this. And he's, God isn't confused or contradicting himself either. Because we know that about his character, his omniscient. He's recognizing that Abraham did what was asked of him. He obeyed with Ishmael. And God does not take that uncomfortable obedience lightly. Instead, he allows Abraham to put his obedience on the line one more time. And then lets him get all the way to the end and says, Stop. I understand. Trust me. I've got this. And he provides the ram for the sacrifice. He sees us in our affliction, in our hurt, when things aren't fair, or when we're made out to be someone that we're not, or when we don't have the strength to keep going like Hagar and Ishmael in the wilderness. He meets us where we're at, and he provides the ram for the sacrifice. 
Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. God cares for us deeply, each and every one of us. He didn't let Hagar and Ishmael die in the wilderness. In fact, he did just the opposite. He sees the injustice done to Hagar and Ishmael and that entire nation that would be raised up from Ishmael and he eternally redeems them by sacrificing his own firstborn son, Jesus. And this time he follows through with that sacrifice. God has one son and his name is Jesus, which literally means Yahweh saves. So God deeply cares for those who experience injustice and pain. And we are called to reflect his character and imitate him in any way that we can. Even if that requires uncomfortable obedience. So how do we do that right now? How do we take this from being just another great story in scripture that exemplifies God's love And instead of just ingesting it and keeping it to ourselves, let it overflow to those around us who need it most. Listen closely to the last thing that God says to Abraham in chapter 22. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, you have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you. And then it goes on to say, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Because you have done this. Because you have obeyed my voice. Somehow, in God's sovereignty and his perfect will, what we do matters. Our obedience is necessary within God's plan. This specific act of uncomfortable obedience is what solidified Abraham's blessing. That his offspring would multiply as the stars in the heaven and and as the sand that is on the seashore. The action that we take in obedience to God's call matters. So what is he calling to do in this passage? He's calling us to reflect him. He's calling us to listen and hear his voice and the voice of those who are crying out in pain and abuse. At Forge, we have an acronym that we reference often called BLESS. So, youth students, if you've heard this, just try and listen a little closer. Um, It's an evangelism tool that stands for begin with prayer, listen with care, eat together, serve lovingly, and share your story. Now, the idea with this evangelism model is that we would be building close-knit, one-to-one friendships and relationships with others that will hopefully establish a level of credibility and security to where we can have an open conversation and share Jesus with those people that God has specifically placed on our heart. I want to focus specifically on the first two letters of bless for our purposes today. Begin with prayer. This means that before you ever start to think about talking to someone about Jesus and this model, you would be starting by asking God to reveal his eternal perspective in a supernatural way. We cannot change someone's mind about Jesus or anything else unless God has softened their heart and opened their ears to hear what we have to say. 
So we start by tapping into the eternal well of empathy and discernment that we have through Christ. And we get our heart in the right place to be a blessing to others. From there, we listen with care. I don't know about you, but for me, it is just physically impossible to listen to someone while I'm talking. (laughs) I just can't do it. And I think it's the case for a lot of people. But once we have tapped into a humble, eternal, gospel-driven perspective of the person across the table from us, that's when we'll be ready to listen and actually hear where they're at. What they've been through, what God is doing in their heart, and hopefully how we can join in with what God is doing in their heart. We can't soften or change anyone's heart because that's not our job. It's God's job. We need to become better listeners so that we can appreciate the amazing work that God has already done and is currently doing in the hearts of those around us. And we're robbing ourselves of a much more rich Christian experience and perspective by considering our own limited human perspective to be the only lens through which we can can see the world around us. Don't rob yourself of that. And don't rob the people around you of the eternal heavenly insight that God gives us when we begin with prayer and we listen with care. From there, we get to continue to deepen the relationship by doing life with them, eating with them, serving with them in whatever way is most beneficial. And then and only then can we hope to get anywhere by sharing our own perspective with them in light of having heard them clearly by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not going to work to shout from a street corner or social media platform when no one can, those people can't look in your eyes and see your heart and vice versa. We are called to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And I understand that there are significant frustrations from every angle in regards to not being heard and that riots are the language of the unheard. But if we're all wanting heart change on an individual level, it is not realistic to go about it at a nuclear level. That doesn't involve God or the groundwork that he has already laid in the hearts of each and every person around us. We are called to uncomfortable obedience. We're called to be Jesus to those around us. So what better way than to humbly listen to them just like God listens to us. And then join in on what the almighty God of the universe is already doing. Micah 6.8 says this. He's told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Let's pray. God, I just ask that that would be the prayer of our hearts this week, that we would tap into your purposes and your perspective that we wouldn't speak to anyone about our opinion or anything else until we have spent time in your word time in prayer with you because God we don't have anything worth saying if it's not being used as a mouthpiece of you
Help us to be messengers of your love, of your deep empathy. It's the least that we can do for what you've done for us. Help us this morning to continue to worship you. Help us to obey you in any way that you call us to through Scripture this week. We pray these things in your name. Amen.